This week, I chat to much-loved bird author, Fancy Peacock, about his new book, Fancy's Bird Book 2. We find out all about this book and why it should be on everyone's shelf. Birding with kids, Fancy playing in a rock band, his least favorite bird, and we get an update on the Firefinch app. If you have listened to the previous episodes with Fancy, you'll know that this is an episode that you don't want to miss. Fancy's Bird Book 2 is available at most book retailers, including our online store. Be sure to head on over and order the book after listening to the episode. Westermans is running a wild bird competition. When you buy a Westermans Wild Bird 10kg limited edition bag, you get two collectible cards. And in addition to collecting the Wild Bird cards, you'll stand the chance to win amazing prizes worth over 100,000 Rand, including a pair of Swarovski EL 10x42 HD binoculars valued at 45,000 Rand. The competition runs until the 31st of August, and you can find more details at westermans.co.za. Westermans, for the love of birds. My name is Adam, and this proudly South African podcast is your weekly source of news about birds, birders, destinations, conservation, gear, books, and anything that we think birders would want to hear about. So, welcome to the show. Without further ado, let's get into this week's chat with Fonsi Peacock. Okay, so I want to welcome Fonsi Peacock back to the show. It's fantastic to have you back. Welcome back to the Bird Life podcast. Thanks, Adam. It's great to be back again. So a few weeks ago, you did the African Bird Fair, and you were telling me before this episode that you really worked really hard. I saw you did some kids' bird walks, and it's just it's just cool to get out. I mean, you've got such a cool approach to birding, and it must be lots of fun getting out on the field and actually taking kids' birding. I'll tell you, Adam, the level of enthusiasm with these youngsters is incredible. I mean, if you've got 50 kids tagging along on a birding walk, you're not... <laughs> Not exactly in a position to stalk any secretive little skull kits, but just the energy and the enthusiasm and the love that that they that they have for birds. It's just incredible. You know, it's a whole generation of of future nature conscious decision makers that that's growing up, and it's very exciting. It gives me hope for the future. And it must be quite different because the first time we chatted about your kids' bird book, I think it was in twenty twenty, which is like three years ago. I mean, that's COVID times a long time ago. I mean, your kids are three years old. I mean, has the, has the the way they their love of nature changed, or do they still love nature? And how have have has your approach to how you help them to embrace nature? How's that changed with as they've got a little bit older? You know, it's interesting with my kids. Look, I I don't want to force birding on them because it's, it's my thing, not necessarily their thing. But I do want to expose them to it. But it's interesting with them is that they they seem to have adopted this attitude of that birds are just sort of part of their lives you know they always around there's always specimens lying around and 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 i think that's actually the way it should be really birds are such a part of human environments that you should almost take them for granted if you forget what i'm saying um they should be so common and so um, your life should be so intertwined with birds that that you take them for granted um from, from my personal perspective i mean you know, I wrote the book generally inspired by my own two boys when they were when they were young. Um, they've since grown uh, grown into you know they into Foo Fighters and Fortnite now, so it's a bit different when from when the first book came out. But still, it's that um, that connection with nature I see. You know, I always tell the story about my my youngest one when he was two years old. We went for a walk on the beach one day, and we happened to discover this uh, oyster catcher's nest. And this oyster catcher, you know, he snuck away from his nest and then he 
went to stand on a on a nearby rock and he started giving these like really loud threatening alarm calls and my two-year-old um at that point he sort of stood and he watched this bird for a while and then he said to me dive will seance mit futsack you know um so that that message was clearly understood by a two-year-old and that's that sort of instinctual sort of elemental connection with nature that i think all kids have but unfortunately we sort of lose it as we grow older because we don't really need it for our survival anymore so i think if we can if we can you know keep kids in that mindset and as adults sort of what's the word rewild ourselves into it um that's the way to go you know I'll ask the question a little bit just now about tips for parents who want to take their kids birding, but I think possibly something that you know I've learned from you, and this is something I've always shared with people. I mean, there's no there's no perfect parents out there. I think all parents make mistakes, but possibly why your kids have a love of nature is the fact that you know I don't think your kids birds have ever you know your family has always been your priority, and then birds have kind of been a passion on the side, and I think possibly that that that's also part of you know, making making birds exciting for kids when when they're part of the journey. When it's not like, you know, the kids are a, a, a like a an evil. They 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 they're something that you you take along. You take them alongside, and they get to celebrate the the birding journey with you. But do you think that 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 kind of holistic approach is important when it comes to getting your kids to to love nature? Yeah, look, absolutely. I think for a start, birds are just the the excuse to get out of nature, right? So I mean. If you go on a trip, whether you see any birds or not, it's sort of irrelevant. I mean, you're still outside and you're running around and drinking from the streams and, you know, finding frogs and insects and experiencing the raw weather. I mean, it's all that sort of thing. So, so the you know, the birding side of it is, is sort of just the the way to access nature in, in, in a lot, to a large extent. There's a, there's a quote that I want to, if, if you'll allow me to quote myself, um, discovered together, there is more lasting significance in experiencing something new in parallel with your child, rather than teaching them. Let them teach you. And I think that's that's what it comes down to: is that you you sort of go on this learning journey together. I mean, it would almost be best if the parents and the kids started birding together, um, so that they were sort of on equal footing. It's always been the challenge for me, you know, I'm a, I'm a professional ornithologist who's been doing it for 30, 35 odd years. So the sort of level that I engage with birds in is, is a bit different. But I think there's, there's a lot of power in simplifying things. And I think that's also why a lot of people connect with Francis Bird Book, is that, that it's as simple as possible and as fun as possible. Because that's, the, that's really the challenge, because birding... You know, birding is a is a hobby, but ornithology is a science. So you need to sort of find that balance between the two, and that's where where the fun comes in. So you mentioned Foo Fighters earlier. I think I've never asked you. So this might give a little bit of a way of your age, because I think your first books you were like this young hip and happening oak. Now, like you got a little bit older. <laughs> so if we went through your, uh, I don't know if you are Spotify or if you iTunes Music, but if we were to check out your music you listen to, what type of music are you into? You know, Adam, it's my my taste of music has, has just completely plummeted since I got since I became a father. Um, the thing I like to listen to most is just silence and quiet for a change. Um, but I used to be in a rock band, believe it or not. I had long hair; it was sort of halfway down my back. It wasn't it wasn't great, but anyways, grew my hair long and I played rhythm guitar. And it was just a couple of friends. We weren't very good or anything, but it was a lot of fun, you know, band practice and all of that. And we used to play gigs and we recorded some 
some songs in a studio. It was, it was a lot of fun. So back then it was all like you know, old school grunge, you know, Nirvana and Pearl Jam and, and, and that, that kind of thing. All the good music. So the Bird Life podcast, you learn a whole lot of stuff. You learn about birds and destinations and books, but you also learn, we learned episode one, we learned all about Trevor Horica that he, he loves cars. And we learned that Fancy Peacock was in a rock band. So pretty cool. Yeah. He used to do rock music and skateboarding. That was my, my big passions in high school. Of course, birds on the side. At least you like good music. At least it was not like, you know, you went into Britney Spears and Backstreet Boys and that. At least you went into some good music. So good good up on you. That's some good stuff. Same music I grew up with also. We, when we chatted about the Firefin chat, which we'll chat, chat, chat about in a while, is um, Stefan mentioned this whole topic of mastery. And it's something that I was very interested, interested in. He says that in terms of um, mastery. He says that use someone that he thinks has kind of got that place in bir- as 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 a birder, where you've kind of mastered this this in ornithological game. You know, if somebody's listening right now and they were to look at, if you were to look back at your journey and look look at how you've got to where you've got to, you know, how would you say that you've got to where you are in terms of 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 your growth as a birder and as an ornithologist where today you have people that look at you and say this guy's this guy is has got to a level of mastery in this in his in his craft well i think adam to be honest i think a real master is someone who doesn't feel that he or she is a master if you get what i'm saying there's that what is that famous um psychological uh, paper i think it was called the career dunning effect or something like that but basically it says that you know, when you start out, you don't know anything, but then very soon you think you know everything. And it's only once you realize that you, you, even, you know, even though you think you know everything, you, then you get to a point where you realize, no, wait, there's still so much to be, to be discovered. Then, then, that, then that curve descends again. And I think that's where mastery starts coming in. It's, it's all about questions. You know, when, I, when I'm birding, I constantly ask myself questions. Why is this bird doing that? You know, how did I identify that bird? How is this sound different from that? You know, so never just sort of assume or, 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 or think that you've got it down and you don't have to worry about it again. You just keep learning, keep learning, keep learning. And I think that's why birding is so attractive to so many people is that you can make it as simple or as complicated as you, as you like. And you basically just compete with yourself. But a, a common characteristic, um, that I've seen with with all birders is this um, eagerness to learn, this this willingness to 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 discover and to find out new facts and new research. And I think that's where mastery comes in. It's just throughout your life, learning throughout your life. Talking about the Firefinch app, um, really a fantastic app for people that haven't got it yet. Uh, really a really awesome app. I mean, you just keep. I've been amazed that you've kept up. We were just chatting before this episode that you've done. Uh, about 100 articles so tell us about the app how's the app doing and you know for those that haven't got the five the five inch app i mean i don't know which rock they've been sleeping under <laughs> but tell us a little bit about how's the app doing and why should people get the five inch app yeah so uh, so initially when we launched the app there um it was a bit of grumbling about the subscription model but i think people are now realizing why we went that way in that it's continually updated. you know every two or three days i write these articles um and so on, and we're constantly updating the taxonomy and all the features and all of that. So these articles, um, I mean, they cover anything and everything. Um, but again, this trying to keep things light and simple and humoristic. So, so recently, for example, I've done some some audio stuff where it's uh, where it's um, 
like you're visiting a site, a habitat, and you're walking around and, you know, it's my voice, but it's overlaying on, onto bird sounds and crickets and frogs and rustling leaves and, and the streams and whatever. So it's like this whole journey that you go on. So it's these sorts of interactive elements that I think really brings, brings the app alive. So the app is, uh, is still growing every day. Um, we've been very grateful that it's, you know, it's never really taken a dip or anything like that. It's, it's constantly growing and we're very excited to, I still feel like it's only the beginning of the journey. I've got so many ideas. I, I remember when we spoke last time, you, was, you sounded a little bit skeptical about whether I'll be able to keep up the, the momentum of writing these, these articles every few days. And look, it is a lot of work, but it's so fun. Um, and I've got so many things that I want to talk about still actually keep a list of all, all the ideas for topics for articles that I've got. So if, just for, for example, then I just yesterday I wrote a thing about when when and where birds were discovered. So you know every time a new species is described, which started in, in 1758 with Linnaeus, and then um, for the next 150 years or so, uh, they kept discovering and describing new species. And then every time that happens, um, each new species has a type specimen. So the first physical specimen collected and a locality where that was found and that information is accessible but it's quite interesting to 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 plot all that information and to see like where were these birds actually collected which countries for example um senegal in west africa is one is is, is the hot spot for african birds um, a lot of the sort of more widespread african birds were, were collected in senegal believe it or not that's why it's called a senegal lapwing and a senegal plover like a senegal kukul and so on so all sorts of interesting stuff like that. That was yesterday. Then today I went in a completely different direction and I, I made like a, a fake magazine cover. I modeled it on, you know, like Cosmopolitan or some fashion magazine where it's where you take this quiz. It's called What Kind of Bird Are You? And it's like this ABC um, quiz that you take. And it's just basically based on the full um, uh, personality types that you get in psychology. I know it's not a perfect science, but yeah, sort of the basic different temperaments in that. So it would be, questions would be like, you know, if you go on a birding trip with your mates, would you be A, driving the car, or B, navigating with Google Maps, or C, doing the playlist, you know, and so that corresponds to different kinds of birders and how, how they exhibit their temperaments and personalities in the birding in the birding realm. So just lots of fun stuff. I mean, some of it is nonsense, some of it is science, but it's all it's all great fun. Oh, it's an amazing app. You know, it's like I'll say this is a compliment. It's actually quite hard to keep with, keep up with the posts because you've always putting new stuff out there. It's, you know, it's like a, the way I described it to someone who was kind of skeptical about paying the monthly subscription. It's it's a magazine. It's almost like you exactly. you'll pay for the U magazine or Cosmopolitan or whatever, if yeah. that's what the way you're inclined, and you'll pay for that. And I think that's. You know, the fact that it's a dynamic app, the fact that stuff is always going on, and good articles, informative articles. I mean, you've got the the coastal, the audio birding, which is absolutely fantastic. For people that want to learn bird calls, I mean, those those little snippets, uh, you know, you just put your earphones on and you you feel like you're in the middle of, I know the one was the coastal bush or you're in the middle of a wetland. And it's it's absolutely it's it's innovative. I mean, you I, I don't know where you come up with the the ideas you come up with. You're one of the most innov innovative people I know, and I think that's what what sets you apart. And that's also another reason why people need to get the app. It's not just the normal 
standard app. It's it's very innovative in its approach to birding, and it makes birding fun. It makes birding accessible. Yeah, it's it's a really cool app, and I encourage everyone to go get the get the Firefinch app. You know, try the free trial, and I'm sure by the end of the free trial, you'll be paying for the the paid version because it's it's definitely worth it. I'm so glad you're enjoying it, Adam. And remember, those those articles are always there. Eh? So I mean, you don't have to keep up with them. I know it's a lot, but you can always go back to them and. And the idea is eventually also to link the articles back to the species account so that if you're reading about, I don't know, striped crakes, you can see, oh, there was an article on that date and on that date and on that date. Um, but anyways, yeah, no, so the app is very exciting. It's really, um, it's also been great working with colleagues for a change because all, the, all my other projects, I've always just sort of sat in my office and, and focused. Um, and you say, you say it's innovative, but I also think that... Um, a lot of people tell me that I'm one of the most productive people that they know, and that's a it's a very easy way to be to to be productive, and that's just to ignore outside um, outside distractions. <laughs> so that's why when you when you're trying to reach me, you have to find Runel, um, because I you know I've got a, a talent for ignoring emails and and, and phone calls. So I, every single email that I write in my life, I always start with the same line, which is I'm. I'm sorry for the belated reply. But the other cool thing about the app is uh, is in terms of the articles, there are some articles obviously for newer birders and there's also articles in there for more mature seasoned birders. So, you know, whatever level you are as a birder, there's something in there that you can enjoy. So yeah, get the five inch app. It's really fantastic. As always, the Birding Life is proud to be associated with Sarovsky Optic, one of the world's leading producers of binoculars, monoculars and spotting scopes as well as the Bird Lasser bird logging app. Spot, plot, play a part. Download and install the app to play your part in social conservation. One of the ways that you can help us to keep putting out the content that we are releasing is by supporting our online shop. We sell optics, books, Westerman's products, and a whole lot more. Check out the shop on our website, www.thebirdinglife.com. If you need any help with any of the products, please don't hesitate to email us on info at thebirdinglife.com. We've got you on the show today to talk about your Fancy's Bird Book 2. Um, really a fantastic book. And just first, you want to congratulate you on the book. I'm always skeptical when you get these updates, but uh, this is the, this update has just gone to a, another level altogether. So firstly, congratulations on the update. We, we can't keep up with orders and our, I'm sure they're just flying off the shelf. Fantastic book. Well, thank you very much, Adam. Yeah, it's, um, it's quite a different book to the first one. I mean, it you know, in addition to adding 120 species, that the 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 book itself actually feels lighter and smaller, more accessible. I don't know how that happened. We uh, the, the the paper prices went up something incredible. So the paper is actually a bit thinner, but it works beautifully. I'm I'm very happy with how the book uh, how the you know the job that the printers did. So yeah, the updated version. Um, the main difference is that the first book was only only covered South Africa, right? And so this new one covers the whole of Southern Africa, the traditional sort of birding region south of the Zambezi. So it includes Namibia and Botswana and Zimbabwe and, and Mozambique. So kids from all over can now join in the fun. Um, so 120 extra species, which brings us up to, let me just, before I lie to you, it's 842 is the title species in the book. So that was the one big change. The other big change was that I, I've included these um, scannable QR codes which then links back to extra material, bird sounds, these audio adventures that we spoke about, 
and sort of just more in-depth articles about some of the more interesting birds. What's really cool about the book, and you, we, this was kind of what you said about the Firefinch app, so this must be quite distinctive about your style. You know, you get the book and it looks like a, it's got a great crane on the front and you've, at first glance, it's almost got this, the feel of a simplified field guide. And, you know, at first, at first glance, it's very simple, not a lot of text, very, very simple, very easy to identify, not a lot of complicated drawings. But what I love about the book is it's, it's like this treasure trove. There's all these extra pieces you spoke about the qr codes then you start looking and there's these questions in the book then you start looking these little fun facts at the bottom then you start looking and there's um even within the pictures there's interesting stuff and it's it's one of these books that i mean i've had the book uh i might have been one of the one of the first people around to get the book and i've had the book and i've just been paging through it and even as i was preparing tonight i was discovering things that i hadn't seen in the book yet and it's 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 like that's what makes the book exciting it's one of those books i mean i think for kids um, and even for older kids who are maybe in their 40s or their 50s, they're gonna really going to enjoy going through the book. And I think for kids in the car, driving up, driving somewhere, I mean, there's so much stuff in the book that they can go into. It's, it's, and I, I think that's very distinctive about a lot of your books. There's all these, there's kind of like the, the, the bigger picture, but when you start looking at it, there's, there's, there's so many different layers that it'll take you months to discover everything that this book actually has. Yeah, that's very true. I was just, while you were chatting, I was just sort of paging through um, and I happened to go across the silvery-cheeked hornbill, and I see I wrote here, did you know, in most hornbills, the cask on top of the bill is partly hollow, but Asia's strange helmeted hornbill has a solid bony cask that it uses to headbutt its rivals. Its bill is about 10% of its mass. Imagine if your nose weighed that much. So it's, I mean, it's, it's all these like random little fun facts. It just promotes just a passion for birds and just a love for, for birds because, I mean, they are really so fascinating. You know, I think birds have the um, the perfect level of of diversity to occupy the human mind. You know, we've got about 10,000 species worldwide, so that's sufficient to keep you busy for forever, but it's not overwhelming. You know, something like insects or plants, I find, can be quite overwhelming, the diversity. And then, of course, birds communicate in the same way that humans do. Um, through sight and sound that's why they've got beautiful songs and that's why they're bright colors whereas most other mammals um, communicate via scent so they are mostly brown and mostly nocturnal so i think that's why birds are just such a fascinating subject so you just touched on something there and i want to ask you that you know as you said about this that birds are more accessible but i mean there's a lot of birders we talk about you you made uh, some good money from uh, the fact that birds are difficult, LBJs and waders. You've got some really good books around that. If people haven't got those books, it's not. Those, those are two other good, good, good books you've got to have in your in your library. But is birding? Is it really possible to make birding accessible for kids? I mean, the thing is, you know why I say this. When you're looking at, you've got obviously got your shorebirds, which are difficult to identify. Then you've got stuff like binocular technique. You got to you get get to try get a kid onto a little sunbird on the top of the tree. Um, there's, a, there's a whole lot of complexities that even adults struggle with. And is it possible to make birding more accessible for kids? Oh, absolutely. I've, you know, I've, through, the, through the book, I've now met several, uh, several kids who just, I couldn't believe the field skills that these kids have. They, the, the sharpness of their senses. I mean, they see things long before I see them. And their ears are just so tuned in. And I mean, I agree, there are difficulties, you know, when you start using binoculars. I don't know why, but birds, for some reason, just don't trust humans. They're always flying away. But, you know, once kids have mastered the sort of the basic skills, they are incredible birders. 
And it's, it's really, um, really encouraging. And again, like I said earlier, you, birding, you can make it as complex or as easy as you want. I mean, if, if you see a, some distant wider or some LBJ that you don't know, I mean, just ignore it and move on to the next thing. There's so many birds. We're so blessed in Africa that we have so many birds. You know, eventually you'll sort it out and you'll get there. You know, we all learn just by making mistakes. And I'm sure, I don't know about you, but I'm sure they, they, you know, lots of listeners have a bird or two on their list that, you know, in retrospect, they think, was that ID right? You know, um, I, I, I still remember when I was a younger bird, I used to sort of chop the dead wood every, every year or so. I went through my list and if there was anything that I had any sort of doubt about or even something that I feel I could have had a better view or something like that, I would have just removed it. Um, and in fact, uh, Renelle has started a weird thing. She's completely zeroed out her life list and started all over again. I mean, there's lots of birds that she'll probably never see again in her life, but that's okay. She says she wants to start over. And now, when we're driving around and she sees, I don't know, like a pintailed wider or something, she gets so excited because she says it's a lifer, I guess a sort of pseudo-lifer, whatever you want to call it. And I think that's that's almost the um, the part that I miss the most about birding, uh, you know, when I was starting out, is that you, you, you're constantly seeing stuff that you get excited about all around you, even in your garden or in the cities or wherever. And that's why a piece of advice that I often give to people is that, you know, don't be in too much of a rush to add lifers. Take it slow because the longer you bird, the more difficult it gets to add lifers and, and the more expensive it also gets to add lifers. So the trick is to take it slow and also appreciate birds that you've, al- you've already seen. Um, I mean, my favorite birds, people always ask me what's my favorite bird and it's, it's almost impossible to answer. I love all birds equally. <laughs> they love my children. But um, some of my favorite birds are just like the most familiar ones, the ones that I feel are old friends, like Cape Robin Chats or Greater Striped Swallows. I just feel such a sense of coming home when I, when, 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 when I, when I, when I you know, meet them somewhere. Um, on the first, my first day of university, um, I walked into campus and I was quite nervous, understandably, you know, new campus and I'm not quite sure like where to go, which class or whatever. And as I sat down on my first class, there was a Cape Robin on the desk. I don't know, he probably came in the window or something. Um, and he hopped around there for a while and then he flew out again. And I just I just felt so relaxed after that moment. I just felt like, you know, I've got this. Um, and, and that's that sort of um, connection with birds that I think um, appeals, to, appeals to me most. I asked Garrett Skeet this question and he said he's got none. So I'm going to ask you because I've actually got one. Do you have a, you, you spoke about, everyone asks you, what is your favorite bird? But do you have a least favorite bird? Mm, I do, absolutely. It's the blacksmith lapwing. Um, that, that sound that they make is just so piercing and they're just so in your face, you know, um, especially when they're breeding. I mean, you're... I used to be do these um, from for part of my um, my honors degree. I did these minor point counts to determine the densities of miners in sort of urban and peri-urban areas. So anyway, so I, sp- I spent like a year just standing around in in fields and parkies just counting miners, and these lapwings would just constantly mob me. And then eventually, I, f- I found a way to um, so I had a I printed a thing. A page that was white on the one side and black on the other side and when the lapwings come flying at you and you know they've got those bony spurs on the on the carpal joint so they've actually got like little weapons but anyway so when they come flying I, I, I took this page and I sort of 
flipped it back and forth. So I, so I just black, white, black, white, black, white. And that seemed to put them off a lot. And they would land and then just, you know, scream their lungs out from a distance. But it's at least better than a physical attack. So, yeah, I'd have to say my, my least favorite one is the blacksmith. And um, they're also increasing. It's such a, you know, they're rapidly becoming one of the most common birds all over. I must say, it's exactly the same bird that is my least favorite bird. And I'll tell you why. It's not, uh, the, the, those little spikes on the wings are scary. And I actually learned that from your book, believe it or not. But the thing that I really don't like about them is when you're out birding, they are so noisy. And they're like, you, you're like, be looking at something, trying to get a picture of a, a pippet or something, and it's like, ah, you're getting close to this pippet. The pippet's not worried about you. The pippet's chilled. And all of a sudden, the lapping on the field just starts bellowing, starts screaming, and all of a sudden, the pippet's gone. And they're like, they, they're worse than hardy dots. They're just irritating. <laughs> ah, no, I hear you. I hear you. Um, we've obviously assuming that most people have um, seen Fancy's Bird Book 1. This is um, part two which is better than Rocky Part 2. So for somebody who's never picked up a Fancy's Bird book, how does the navigation look? You know, how, how do you navigate through the book? Because uh, it's a lot simpler than, for example, your your Cecil and your Roberts Field Guides. It's, it, it's, it's designed to be simple. So how, how does the Fancy Bird book work in terms of navigate, navigating through the book to find a bird? How would how would people use it on a practical practically on the field? You know, when I, when I first started um, vision boarding the the first edition, I I considered various ways to organize the birds because, you know, you've got a thousand, spe- a thousand units, right? And you have to organize them somehow. So I went through all these iterations. So at one point I had them all alphabetical. Then I had them from big to small. So you would start with the ostrich and you would end with whatever fairy flycatcher or whatever. But none of that really worked. Um, but then I came up with this grouping where it's, where it's these 12 groups and they – they just basically as simple as can be. So you got so if a bird's swimming on the water, then it's a swimming, a, sw- a swimmer. If it's walking on the on the dry ground, it's a walker. If it's sitting in a tree, it's a percher. You know. So I got these twelve groups. Um, I mean, it doesn't always always work, but ninety eight percent of the time, it's going to be in, in that group. The only um, the only one that doesn't quite fit is in the middle. I've got this. I created this group called favorites which is a bit random. So that's like random things like hornbills, woodoopoos, uh, kingfishers, rollers, so all these sorts of familiar, colorful birds that everyone likes. And they all fit in that group. Otherwise, it's either a flyer or a runner or a swimmer or a plunger or a wader. So that works quite well. And I've, I've heard from a lot of people that they're quite happy with that uh, structuring. And then I think what solidified the the navigation for me is that I've started using that same structure in, on my computer when, when I'm organizing photos or files or sound recordings, whatever. And I also use those 12 groups. It just, it's a, a nice, um, a nice, easy, intuitive way to, to, to navigate the incredible diversity of birds that we have in this country. Another reason that I feel that people should get the book, and this is not just for kids, um, is, for example, on page 107, You've got a sandpaper's help file, and it's it's simple. You simplify the whole process down. You know, even I know you've got this in your uh, very similar kind of uh, diagram in your your waiters your waiters book. But I mean, it's the way it's very simple. And the base at the end of this year, you speak about pay attention to the size, the bull shape, special features, points it up below, and the habitat, the colored dots. And 
the whole thing here, you you know, you've got these in other places in the book also, but for somebody who's trying to identify waiters, you can go and buy a really complicated book and try and figure out all this, or you can just, you know, even scan this page, you know, buy the book, scan the page, keep it in your, you know, your, 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 with your, your, your binoculars, your camera or something. It's, it, there's so many, these little features in the book that just not just make this a book that kids should have, but that not just even newer birders, but I mean, even experienced birders should have. Because I mean, waiters can be difficult. I know there's there's some experienced birders out there that waiters are really difficult. There's even tips on here, to, uh, even helps in here in terms of LBJs. I mean, it's just, there's so much in here that makes this book worthwhile for almost any birder out there. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people say uh, that they, uh, you know, adults say that they also find the book useful. Um, and so the book is not only for kids, but also for for the young at heart, I guess, because um, birds don't really care how old you are, and you know, birds birds are the, I would say they're the great sort of social equalizer. They don't care if you if you male or female or black or white or rich or poor, you know, um, and generally neither do birders. So we we do certainly get a lot of comments from adults that they find the book useful, but still, you know, it appeals to me that I wrote this book for my sons and for all the other kids around the around the sub-region um, so I quite like the angle of having it especially for kids and you know it's not oversimplified I mean it includes what, what did we say just now 840 odd species so it's not it's not just uh, the 30 common birds that you're going to see in your garden or whatever it's like every single thing including redneck buzzard and um, uh, what's that leaf love um, that the green bull that lives up there in the Capri strip so I mean it's every single bird that occurs regularly or breeds in southern Africa is in the book. Um, so it's not it's not like, you know, sort of oversimplified baby book. It's like a legit field guide. Um, so I'm really, really proud of it. And then something else which I've loved in the book, and when I've shown people the book who have had the field, the, the, the first book, and I've said to them, this is one thing I love. We spoke about the QR codes. And, I mean, you go scan the QR code. I mean, the one I loved, which I've gone into, is that one on the nesting on the islands where you did the whole story about what it's like to visit a seabird breeding island. And you've got these interactive little, like, episodes where you get to go and go in and go and learn a lot more not just about the birds but about the habitats they found that in you i mean i love this yeah it allows it allowed me to enter into a world that i've never entered into before and these little qr codes in the book are just a feature that take this book to a again i've spoke about what's taken this book to another level but the qr codes are just next level stuff and this is uh, probably the first time i've seen this kind of thing in a field guide i know the qr codes have been done in the Cecil and other field guides but this is the first time there's been this kind of content that's been linked to our QR card and a field guide as far as i'm aware and it's it's brilliant yeah it was a lot of fun recording those things you know um, all these sort of sound effects i felt like a hollywood sound producer so i was recording myself slurping coffee and you know my footsteps and i was driving around in my car revving the engine then you know switching the ignition on and off and windows up and down all sorts of stuff that you incorporate to build this sort of audio world there's a lot of fun but then, of course, some of the QR codes also just link to straight bird calls. Uh, for the more for the more important groups, I mean, the, you know, there's the it's only the calls of the, the that you're really going to need in the field. Things like cuckoos and nightjars and woodpeckers, birds that you're actually going to hear. Um, and then each one has a little explanation of how do you remember remember the sound, how do you identify it, what does the bird say? You know, just little helpful little helpful hints. Because I think, you know, just coming back to what you said earlier about the waders, um, you know, 
True. I mean, ex the experts make it sound like you need all this sort of forensic level detail to identify why it is. But then that same expert just does a quick binocular sweep and he'll tell you, you know, the 300 sandalings and 50 green shanks and, and 200 curlew sandpipers. And I mean, that's not forensic level. That's just sort of field experience. He knows the size, the, the more or less like the shape and the color and, and, and the basic features to look for. So I was constantly asking myself in writing this book, I was constantly asking myself, what is the essence? What is the like the one thing that jumps out when you think about that species? How can you describe a bird, that species in one word? If you had to have a single word, what would you call it? You'd call it spotted or you would call it pale or you would call it hunched or, you know, whatever the, whatever the adjective is. Um, and sort of getting back to those basics. Um, yeah, that was my central philosophy. And then another thing is the little questions that, are throughout the book which obviously you know increase the, the knowledge and it's not just i mean by the bat talk for example you've got the question there's this this hawk eats bats but what do bats eat so it's not just about birds there's a lot of questions that will link birds to you know the, the natural world around and i think the, even these questions are really fantastic again it's just the whole idea about throughout the book it's it's not just static it's interactive almost like if i could dare to say it's almost like your app in a book it's very interactive very a lot it's it, it invites the the reader to be part of the journey as opposed to just in reading the book and i think that yeah makes the again another fantastic feature the little questions in the book yeah tell me adam have you tried uh finding those hidden items let me just see here quickly they're on page 10 and 11, there's a whole list of stuff that you have to find. Like you have to find, somewhere in the book you have to find a uh, papaya or um, Table Mountain Cable Car or a road sign. Scary to crocodile. Scary crocodile. <laughs> now it's quite fun, uh, all these little extra illustrations that are hidden in the book. And another thing, another thing which is which I loved, we, we did a trip up to uh, Tyler Nature Reserve in KZN a few weeks ago. Um, yeah, nearly got stuck on four by four tracks. Um, a crazy day, um, and we took uh, we had four, three youngsters with us uh, in grade eight. Boys, one was in grade eight, one was in grade seven. And what we did it, what we actually did is from your first book, we actually did a photocopy of the checklist to the back, oh, yeah. and I, if you, which is quite cool because they have different points for they have different points for different birds depending on what bird people saw in that. And we actually got the kids to go and. You know, every that's identify the bird, and whoever got to see the bird first, they got the point. And it was quite quite a bit of fun. You know, there's again that idea of having the interactive part, where you know you you know you can not just ticking a bird off a list, but there's 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 almost like this this extra incentive to look for like these special species, and and that again it just makes the book and makes the book more exciting for younger readers. Yeah, I mean, why should a common bird count the same as a rare bird? I mean, you should get extra points for a rare bird, surely. And then I've got these, um, the kids have just gone crazy about these um, trophy birds. You know, some of the like really weird special things have those little trophy symbols next to them. So the idea was to find all the trophies. And in the first book, I only had 20. But now, you know, we've, we've got such incredible birds in this part of Africa that I've increased it to 60 now. So I've added some sort of more common accessible stuff that's just impressive. Like, you know, like um, long-tailed widow bird which with that ridiculous tail and secretary bird and, you know, these sorts of, uh, you know, penguins and all sorts of special unique species and other trophy birds. So uh, the kids seem to, to, to like that idea. 
Uh, it's, it means something I found, which is really awesome now, which I've, I haven't, again, this is discovering stuff while we're doing the podcast. I mean, you you got the weavers, and weavers can be quite tricky to identify, and you're looking at the village weaver versus the southern mask versus the lesser mask, and you're looking at the different facial patterns, and again, there's, again, there's just so much in this book, uh, and it's, it's, it's a book that every birder should have, and not just buy one copy, but buy a few copies, give to your kids and your grandkids, and buy some for your future grandkids because, yeah, well, then it'll probably be Fancy Bird Book 4 will be out by then. <laughs> so, yeah. But Fancy, the big question is, is parents are going to buy this book for their kids after this episode or discovering on your website and they're going to want to take their, their kids out. And we've kind of touched on the interactive part in that. But very practically, I know you write about in the book, very, very practically, you know, a parent buys the book and wants to take their kids out. How would, how, how do you think a, a an, they can practically get their kids involved in birding and make it accessible for kids? Um, from a practical perspective, I would say a very good place to start is just a, any sort of dam or wetland. You know, the, the water birds are easily visible in the open water and they're generally quite big and easy to identify. So that, that would definitely be a, a place to start. Um, and then um, I think, you know, kids will be kids. So you can't expect them to sit still for hours in a hide or, you know, not, not have noisy fun. It's just, that's just kids being kids. But I think the whole, the whole thing is to encourage independence um, at, you know, depending on their age at an appropriate level. I mean, if they're a bit older, maybe they can try driving a car on some, you know, um, quiet farm road somewhere. Or maybe you can um, let them walk, you know, up ahead and lead, sort of lead the outing. I mean, I think, I think that's the encouraging that sort of, what's the right way to phrase it? That independence is the way to to foster a love for 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 birding your kids. It makes them feel like um, it's not something that an older person teaches them, like you know a teacher would at school. It's something that they're discovering themselves. Um, so I think that's. That's a very important thing. Um, so also, I, I, I often say to parents, you know, if, if your kid does have some small um, misidentification, sometimes it's better to just let it slide. You know, if they're telling you excitedly about having seen, I don't know, a martial eagle at their school, maybe it's, it's you know, it's okay to let things slide sometimes. Um, and then I think also birding, you know, you and I are used to it because we've grown up with this. But... Birding sort of puts you out of the norm, right? So if you if there's some special bird um, that pitched up somewhere, you know, birders do crazy things. They'll go wake up at 2 o'clock, drive through the night to Cape Town, whatever, to go and see the special bird. So I, I really think that birding encourages a sense of liberty, of freedom, of living outside the con- confines of, of what is, you know, assumed normal society. And kids, and I think if parents can encourage that, that'll go a long way. Um, I don't know. Maybe that was a bit more of a philosophical answer than a than a practical answer. What What you kind of said there is, you know, almost this idea of birding, but building the experience around birding. I mean, I can remember going back, going up to my first trip up to Makuzi with people when I just started birding, and I actually can't. Straight away, I can't tell you what birds I saw. I mean, I can remember the, I can remember certain species. I can remember, but the one thing I remember, and it's, it sounds like really lame, is stopping at the one of the gar the total, um, and at early in the morning it was freezing cold, and you know, getting out, opening the picnic baskets, having muffins and a nice cup of coffee from the mug and bean inside. I can remember that. 
I can yeah. remember the experience that goes with, and you spoke about the letting the kid drive and lead the walk. They might not remember the birds, but they can remember the experience. And I think when we start talking about birding, we've, you know, I've spoken about this many times on different podcasts. You know, as much as birding is about the birds, it's about everything else that goes with it. It's about those early mornings wake up, wake ups. It's about the people you meet on the field. It's about the funny stories we have. It's, a, it's about sitting around the campfire after a long day of birding and sitting around and celebrating the birds you've seen. It's about discovering new locations. It's about all these things together. And I think if we can, I think if we can build those experiences around birding, we're not just saying we're going to go sit and spend five hours looking at a bird through the scope, one bird. I think kids are going to get bored by that. It's, I think it's making exciting, building experience where they come home and they say, yeah, we saw some cool birds, but we had lots of fun. And I think if we if parents are deliberate, deliberate around that, I think the kids are going to love birding because they're going to link the birding to those those other experiences and just being with their parents. I think that's another thing we forget. Kids just want to be mm-hmm. with their, their parents and just do life with their parents and before they, before they become teenagers and they hate you. Exactly. Yeah, no, very true. I mean, uh, just before COVID, we did a trip to Brazil um, with another couple, um, and we saw something like 350 birds. Do you think I can remember any of their names? I've long since forgotten all the specials and endemics that I was so worried about when we were there. The things that I remember were the sort of fun things that happened, the little challenges. You know, the one day we went, um, we decided to do a drive-through at a McDonald's or whatever. And then when we got to the little speaker thing there, we just realized, well, we can't speak Portuguese. And now, now we've got a problem. You know, so little things like that. That's what you remember at the end of the day, these, these sort of tangent adventures. Um, so really, that's, that's what, I, what I would like to encourage in, in, in parents is that they, they just have fun, really, with, with their families. Another thing you said in the first episode, which has always stuck with me, is you spoke about when your kid sees something that you might have seen before. So they might see a bird that you've seen and, you know, your response could be, oh, I've seen that 10 times or whatever. But you spoke about when they see something for the first time, even if you've seen that bird a thousand times and they see it for the first time, they're excited about it. Get excited with them. Don't be like, don't downplay, but rather get excited and celebrate that moment with them. And that was something you said before. I think that is fantastic advice. Yeah, I think it's the same thing that bird guides do, right? When they, when a professional bird guide's leading somewhere, someone along, and that person sees their, their lifer, you know, it might be a common bird even, but the the guide, if he gets excited with the client, then it just it sort of makes the sighting all that more, all the more special. I mean, imagine if the bird guides were constantly going around saying, "Oh, that's that's a trash bird. I've seen that a million times. That's boring." You know what I'm saying? So it's it's that same enthusiasm that you need to 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 cultivate even if you have to fake it a bit. So, Fancy, uh, don't know if you can say too much because you've always got something up your sleeve. Um, is is there anything that you can tell us that's coming up in the near future? I mean, you've done uh, a revolution, uh, of, well, innovative app. You've done uh, a new book. I mean, is there anything that we can expect coming up in the near future that we can look forward to, that we can start putting our money away for? Um, anything we can look forward to coming up? Um, yeah, there are certainly some things, but unfortunately, I'm not really at liberty to talk about them too much. Um, several overseas books, a uh, little bit of um, Hollywood magic. Um, yeah, unfortunately, I, I can't really divulge too much now. But yeah, watch the space. Lots of exciting stuff coming up. Fancy is always awesome to chat to you. And uh, yeah, you've always looked forward to chatting to you again. Uh, it's always been fantastic. So thanks for being on the show again. I really appreciate it. Yeah, great. Thanks, Adam. And 
And thanks for inviting me along again. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this week's show. We really appreciate your support. If you have any comments or feedback on any of the episodes, feel free to drop us an email on info at theburninglife.com or send us a message on any of our social media platforms. We would love to get to know you better. So until next time, be blessed and happy burning.